Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 560 for October 24th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, I'd like to welcome returning guest, Ray Robertson. Ray is an Apple script and other automation type guru. Welcome to the show, Ray. It's great to be here, Allison. So I've been pretty vocal on social media about the dumpster fire that has been iOS 13 and especially iPadOS 13. When Apple, without any warning whatsoever, dropped macOS Catalina on us, I was also critical about that, specifically that they didn't give developers more of a heads up other than October on the release date. Now, my understanding was that macOS Catalina was pretty challenging for Apple. I mean, like, you know, the day after they they shipped it, that's when they announced that they took iCloud folder sharing out of the release. Um, anyway, Ray and I got talking about this on social media because uh, after I had posted my complaints about uh, Catalina coming out so suddenly, uh, a person wrote back to me, well, if I was a developer, I would have been working all summer on this. And I think it showed that they really didn't understand that there's been some extra challenges recently that Apple's really caused for developers. Um, so now, Ray... You're coming on to talk uh, from the developer perspective, but you don't consider yourself an expert. No, I'm not really a full-fledged developer. Uh, I work in AppleScript development. I'm more of a power user. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't done some development. Um, in fact, in the early days of the iPad, I developed an iPad app, um, which actually won, was awarded the Notable App of the Week by Apple. Wow. But it, but it was much too early. It was a keyboard enhancement before they really allowed keyboard enhancements. Uh-huh. And so, but I learned through working in Objective-C and working in Xcode that that was not an environment in which I wanted to live. So I <laughs> dropped back to the it. Apple script world with my wonderful script debugger editor and have been living happily since then. But I'm very sympathetic to the plight of third-party developers particularly those who work for themselves or very small companies. So you've been observing what's been going on with a with a developer perspective of what's what's been happening to them and maybe them getting blamed for things that are not their fault right now? Exactly. I'm still part of the developer program. I'm not a full-fledged developer. You you have to be part of the developer program to distribute Apple Apple scripts um, oh, okay. in order for them to bypass certain security things. But yes, I talk with some and I observe and I've seen the trend. And so when that comment came up, even though I'm not an expert, I wanted to at least maybe share an opinion or provide a little bit of awareness for people. Okay. So would you say in general, there's um, a misconception about how much time these developers have to work under the new Mac OS? Yes, I think most people think that there's WWDC in June, and at that date, the developers get all the information they need, and they begin working on their apps. And so they have three to four months to perfect their apps. That's not the and, way it is? <laughs> no, that's it's not, not really fully the way baked on day one at WWDC? No, and, and we know it's not fully baked because of how many betas they go through before it's released and even the problems after it's released. But no, it's not fully baked. And then more important in some ways for developers, they don't have yet documentation of what they need to oh, do. Of like of the APIs that they know exist somewhere? Some will be there, but there's a lot to learn. And some documentation is still forthcoming because every developer, even the Apple's developers, I want to say in general, hate to write documentation. <laughs> I, I think you can just say developers 
hate to write that. Okay. Or, or maybe people. Maybe people. There are a few who actually enjoy it. A few enjoy it. I might be one of those. So yeah, that's, that's I, I, lean, I lean towards liking to write. I actually had a uh, a boss of mine as a, when I was a mechanical engineer. I had a boss of mine uh, question where I got my degree from because I could spell. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sympathetic to that. So the the developers of of macOS and of Catalina, or of, I'm sorry, of Catalina and iOS have they also probably don't like to write their own documentation. Is your point? That would be my point. I mean, there are people they're dedicated to that job, but it takes time. Everything's fairly rushed, and some things may not end up ever being fully documented. Um, but also, on, from the developer standpoint, understand when they launch into changing their app. They're also working in a new development environment because Xcode, the primary tool, well, really the only tool, it changes at the same time. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, and it's undergoing a beta process. It might have little bugs or big ones, or it might have a significant interface change that requires things to change. Now, why would they change Xcode at the same time that they're changing the OS you're trying to write to? Just to be mean, or is there a technical reason why you'd need to do that? Oh, well, I don't think I could explain the technical reason, but it's all tied in together because to write for the new OS and be aware of it, you have to have the new development tool. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so they are technically tied together. Yeah. It's not just malicious. To compile it for the new OS, you have to be under the new Xcode. Okay. That's my understanding. So little bugs in the development environment, a beta that's changing in the development environment that's affecting the OS that you're trying to write to while you're in beta of that OS. And by the way, your app is probably essentially considered beta at that point. Exactly. Your your app's considered beta. And the fact that users can sign up for the macOS betas as, as well mean you might be getting some immediate feedback from users about needing an upgrade, <sighs> which is both good and not so good. Um, it puts the pressure on the time to to get it. It makes you aware of possible other issues, so that's good. But it also means before everything is really baked, you're trying to make changes to a moving target. So everything um, you've described so far sounds like it would always have been true. Yes. So what's, I think the what's degree, changed, though? It feels worse. Uh, from all the rumors, I would say yes. It it definitely seems to be worse. It seems to have gotten worse roughly over the past 10 years and has been a real problem in Catalina. Um, so and we, wh- we both have heard, you know, things related to that. I've been so I, I, I'm not on Catalina yet. Uh, except for on two test systems, and I haven't really gotten a lot of time to flesh it out and look for problems. But um, my understanding in Catalina in particular is that things that are working will get broken with an update. So they'll, they'll, they'll do beta updates that are now breaking things that were functioning, and that, that makes things, that you know, that game even more exciting. Right. And in Catalina, we see that happening more with the final release. The dot releases to the um, final release are breaking things. So now that you can get exposed to that process, realize that that's happening in the summer months, June, July, and August. So um, while you're, you're trying to rewrite something. your code, the the code you're writing it against is changing. Very much so. Very much so. And then you, f- you face this decision time. Okay, this is a bug. I'm going to report this bug to Apple 
but will they fix it or do I need to go ahead and work on a workaround for the bug or do I need to wait and see if they will respond? And unfortunately, that's a blind process. Right, right. Um, There's not really a good feedback loop. I mean, unless you find something truly extraordinary, I don't think you get a response even as a developer, right? Right. That's that's my understanding. And I actually have a bug in the data, database that's open from August of 2018 that disabled the one little product that I sell. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and those things, those things happen. So you kind of would wish that as a developer, if, if Apple did something kind of highness that's going to affect your app and many apps, and they don't seem responsive about it, that you could advocate among the users to give Apple some feedback that this needs to be changed. But technically, the developers are all under NDA about the new OS. So they're oh, all really? under a non-disclosure agreement. Oh. That's my understanding. We all sign a non-disclosure agreement as part of the developer program. So you can't so tell you, your users, hey, I need you guys all to request something here. Right, right. You can't huh. do that. You can't give them a heads up that, okay, this feature I'm going to have to remove three months from now on the new system. So you need to start migrating on your own to something else. Oh, wow. Huh. Do you, do you have any specific examples of, of what can go wrong? In this in this type of process, yeah, I, I would say one in the AppleScript world that happened under Mojave is a great example, a terrible example, but a, a good illustration, and that was with scripting additions. Now, the AppleScript language has some basic commands, but in order to add some additional commands, you know, very early in the process, some 24, 25 years ago. <laughs> Apple added these scripting additions that added more commands and features. Okay. And, and so then they added like an enhanced vocabulary of exactly. Or, okay. Enhanced vocabulary for dealing more with files, dealing with more system functions, adding more ways to work with AppleScript objects. Okay. Um, and then they allowed third parties to develop scripting additions. Oh. So they could even have more functionality. So it was an extension plug-in environment for AppleScript. Oh, okay. That sounds cool. And then over the years, many of us have come to rely on those, and we have scripts that have been running fine for a long time using those third-party scripting additions. Well, in the Mojave beta process, it was discovered that suddenly those third-party scripting additions could not be used. So probably for a security reason, they decided that wasn't a good way to do it? You know, I don't know. They either could have decided that, and there were people who said all along that Apple was giving hints that that might happen. They could have either decided it, or they could have made a security change with unintended consequences. Okay. And I think that's what we see happening more and more sometimes with the big, huge Mac OS that we have now, the complexity of it. Changes are made. They affect things in another area. But regardless, let's say that scripting in additions was uh, uh, something that Apple decided to do, which makes sense based on what people had heard before Mojave. Okay. Was it announced at WWDC? No, not to my knowledge. Was it information given out to developers during the beta process? No, to, not to my knowledge. When it was released, was it announced? 
technically there was a small release note, and I want to read you that release note. Okay. Scripting editions can no longer be globally installed. And it tells us the two directories where scripting editions can go are effectively ignored. <laughs> and then it gives you this hopeful, hopeful message. Distribute scripting editions as part of a specific app by embedding the scripting edition in the app's contents, resources, scripting editions directory and signing, that's the security feature, mm -hmm. both the edition and the app with the same team identifier. Okay. Well, most people would read that. Even Apple scripters would read that and go, hmm, okay, so I have to do this now. Only that's impossible. Because third-party scripting editions have their own code signing signature, which the developer does. You cannot change that. And then your script bundle has your own. Oh, oh so you're saying if you, if you as a developer are embedding someone else's script inside yours, scripting edition inside your app, right. then that means you can't change that code signature because that's what code signatures are for is to not be changed. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. So this message, this one note from Apple, effectively meant, meant that third-party third-party scripting editions are dead. Um, and which okay, maybe that's allowable for them to to do and acceptable and something that's progress and unfortunate. But but there's a difference between making an announcement saying for well, like they did with extensions for the browser, right? You used to be able to get extensions from any old place, and now you have to get them from the Mac App Store. They announced that. They made that obvious. We knew that was coming. Right. But something right. like this, they just they just gutted it and and pretended that you could do it another way. It's as though the person who wrote that that hopeful message didn't know how they work. Like didn't understand uh, where they how they how they functioned or I don't know that I could say that and uh, and I don't know exactly the thinking by how, how it was written. I just knew it was hard to understand. But as you expressed, I would have liked to have had that news in June. Yeah, yeah. And I would have liked to be able to tell my clients in June that, hey, I've got, if you're going to go to Catalina or go to Mojave in this case, I've got to do a substantial upgrade to your script because it can no longer use these scripting editions. Okay, right. But instead, uh, you got no warning. No warning. It hit at the usual release time in October. And we are talking for people who've done AppleScript for a while. We're talking about some cases, weeks of work to wow. to uh, change long running scripts to no longer use these additions. So that whole time, your clients are not being productive uh, with your tools. Right. Well, they, they have to avoid upgrading to Catalina. Oh, okay. Or okay. upgrading to Mojave or whatever is so the next Mac OS. And if in the meantime they need to get a new computer, then yeah. they're kind of screwed. Yeah. So, so do you have any kind of defense of Apple why these things happen? I think the main defense is it's all about security now. And as I've mentioned, when you try to tighten up security, those unintended and intended consequences happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, for a long time, AppleScript has been a source of possible security problems. So we've had these rumors and statements that apps can't interact, interact with each other via AppleScript because it becomes a security issue. Now, the major security issues with Apple really more involve the iCloud services, from what I can recall and remember. Um, things could be done with AppleScript. 
but I would like to see better ways of letting a user bless a script and say, I want to give this one access to all applications or I want to be able to use uh, scripting additions or something so, like so that. So sort of like what we do with backup software where we tell uh, in system preferences, we tell it, yes, this app is allowed whole disk access. You could, right. you could have and something along those lines that said this script is allowed to talk to these applications. And you see some of that with you can do with full disk access for uh, an actual script editor as well and some other issues. But mm-hmm. when I send a script to a client, they're going to get all of those warning dialogues. You, you did a great screenshot. You shared a great screenshot of all the warning dialogues in Catalina. Yeah, I didn't even get the well, there's there's one guy posted a uh, that I repost. I think a lot of people have where it's like his his screen is just covered or her. I, I think it was he anyway, uh, just covered with all these notifications. And I didn't get it that bad, but I definitely got, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight on on my first boot up. My favorite my favorite, though, I don't know if you saw this one was um, when when Catalina booted up the, for the first time. This is on a system that has all of my stuff. And, you know, all my applications, all my settings and everything in it. And it, when it booted up, it tried to open mail for some reason. I don't know why. And it, and it came up with a message saying that mail, uh, mail could not run on this system. Please contact the developer to find out whether mail is cat- compatible <laughs> with Mac OS Catalina. That's really? Hilarious. Yeah. That's- okay. It's your software, Apple. So, yeah, the, the um, the pop-ups are an interesting thing because a lot of them are are really good. You know, the questions that it's asking, um, I think, are are valuable. Um, and an example of one that's really valuable, but I'm positive people don't understand because I completely misunderstood it. In iOS uh, 13, you'll see apps asking for Bluetooth access. Well, if you've got if you open up an app that is an audio app, for example, and it's supposed to play something to your Bluetooth headphones, you might be inclined to say yes to that question. But it turns out the app doesn't need Bluetooth. It doesn't need that question answered. It already has access to the audio system, which includes the Bluetooth audio. If they're asking for Bluetooth specifically, it it can be that they're using that to track you when you tell it not to track you with the GPS so that that's a workaround they've come up with, and Facebook was famous for being the first ones to everybody noticed was doing it. Um, so those pop-ups actually mean something, but whether we understand them or not is is a whole nother Oprah, as they say. And technically, they should only happen one time when you first run something. Yeah, and, course, and I think they do. In the scripting environment, though, we're constantly updating scripts. Mm. We're providing new features or revisions, and then you get it again every time. Uh, okay. And then you get numb to it and you just go, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quit nagging me. I think the numbness happens very quickly yeah. because we, we all already have way too many of those notifications. The worst one, I would say, is actually the Apple notifications to upgrade your system software, which you cannot put away for more than 24 hours on Mac OS, to my knowledge. You know, I've been trying to figure that out. Um, two, two answers on that. One is I am not getting that notification every 24 hours. I'm getting it maybe once a week. Uh, but I know other people, my friend Dorothy is getting it every day. Uh, but there is a defaults right command thing one, uh, that you can you can do to turn that off. 
You know, I saw something, a workaround like that for iOS. I hadn't seen one for macOS. Yeah, I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in the show notes. But yeah, it's a, it's, um, actually, I know I sent it to Dorothy, so I can find it. But uh, yeah, it's just a command that says here, you know, neg equals dash dash no or something like that. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, technically that's terrible that we would turn it off because for security reasons, we should be constantly updating. Sure. Yeah. But we've um, also seen other apps, you know, like um, insert need to upgrade notices within a document, within a spreadsheet, a flashing bar. And so I have a new term for all of those notifications from Apple and from developers. I call them nagifications. Nagifications. Nice. And they just nag, nag you again and again. And we don't really need that as users. We need some type of control over that to get it at least for a longer time period. Right, to say you can you can nag me in a month or something. I, exactly. I want a button that says nag when this garbage heap is stable. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I use, I use Sonos, and I actually like the Sonos music interface because it's a simple list of songs that I can easily search. Mm-hmm. But every time, it seems like, since I don't listen to music every day, every time I open it, it's either trying to get me to upgrade my controller or the software, and I'm like, I just want to play a song, damn it. You know, please go away. And then you get nagged and nagged until the point where it gives you no choice. You right. must upgrade. And um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Oh, by the way, it's a, it's a pseudo command. So super user do slash user slash sbin slash software update dash dash ignore space quote Mac OS Catalina. Okay, so I committed that to memory right now. So you I gotcha. <laughs> I will. I will give that to you when we're done talking. But uh, yeah, you can do it. But I'm I'm a huge believer in keeping my system up to date. But right now, you know, let me wait and see. I've also heard a lot of people say, uh, "Well, you know, I'm going to go to Catalina because I checked, and all my all my apps are 64 bit." Said, "Yeah, but do they work?" Because that turns out those are two different things. And and I don't know that we've ever run into a situation where so many things just don't quite work right. You know, it it's I, I use an app called Webcam Settings to control my Logitech webcam. And it does things like it turns off the auto zoom and it changes white balance and all that kind of stuff. So we try it out in Catalina and it sure it launches. You just can't select your camera. Ooh, in other words, okay. the entire functionality is gone. Right. Uh, so it was 64 bit and the developer has lost interest. He hasn't done anything in, in years. So, well, that's what I'm hearing from other FTUs like you. That's what I call the first to upgrade people. FTU. Okay. Okay. And we all know the LTUs, the last to upgrade people. <laughs> and I kind of want to consider myself somewhere in between, but you know, a, a period about roughly 10 years ago, we could, upgrade Apple betas during the beta cycle with no worries. Uh, one of my partners famous, famously while teaching a session did it in the middle of class because <gasps> they were just so stable at that point. And I don't want to sound like an old man yearning for the good old days, <laughs> but he was, he isn't definitely an FTU, a first to upgrade type person. And I keep hearing from other FTUs that now they've grown greatly hesitant yeah, I I am a I I don't know that I have ever waited this long to upgrade to an OS before. I'm being very cautious. I'm checking every single app on my I mean, I've got a list that I maintain of my critical, 
my mission critical apps. You know, if these don't run, I can't do what I need to do. And not just, I, and I've got separate piles for, you know, these are pretty important and these are like, yeah, I could live without them. Um, and I'm not going to go until I've changed every one of those bubbles on my mind map to green. I'm just not, I'm not going to do it or find, or find a substitute. Well, that says a lot to me because you're a podcaster, you're a journalist, you feature the newest things always. You're a cutting edge type person. Right. And yeah. and it's in my DNA to just throw caution to the wind and install things and try it and see what explodes. But what is that um, term nuke and pave? Is yeah. That your, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just I just did a nuke and pave of my 12 inch MacBook for a video for that I did for Don McAllister Screencast Online, a tutorial on how to nuke and pave. And so that's a nice, clean operating system. That one's running Catalina, but I haven't installed any software, so it's running perfectly. I, in <laughs> fact, I good. didn't I didn't get any pop ups on that one at all because I'm not running anything. Right. And mail seemed to work OK on that one. But on the on my second back machine, the one that's my backup, if something happens to my my real machine, that one was where I started getting some interesting questions. I mean, it wasn't overwhelming, but, you know, well, I, I'd like to address that. You just said you didn't get any pop ups at all. And to me, that's an issue in that by default, all of Apple's applications are kind of enjoying a blessed status. Oh, um, they are not suspect like third party applications. So you don't have to give them permissions to do things. You have to give permissions for other apps to access them. But I don't think you have to give the Apple apps to access certain areas oh. of the system. Um, Interesting. Again. So the 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 photos app doesn't have to ask for access to your photo library. The music app doesn't have to ask for access to your music library. Uh, Photo Booth doesn't have to ask for access to your camera. Is that right? I don't want to say 100% that that is right. I don't really have enough knowledge in that area. But it certainly seems like in that security area and other things, the things that Apple produces and develops have an increasing advantage over other developers. I'm going to check this real time. I'm going to open up Photo Booth. And I mean, that would be a perfect example, right? Photo Booth should ask me, can I talk to your camera? If it's in the same status level, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah. If if your iPhone is considered part of that environment, I don't know. No, 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 not my iPhone. I'm saying the the iSight camera for for Photo Booth. Remember remember Photo Booth, the one that makes funny, you know, distorts your face and everything? Oh, right, right. I'm assuming Photo Booth is still there on Catalina. So I'm going to open okay. up Photo Booth and just see what it does. Um, yep, it's still here. Let's see if it asks for access to my camera. It's coming. This is on a 2015 12-inch MacBook, so it is uh, a little elderly. And my camera is on, and I am not getting a pop-up asking for, for access to it. Mm, so that's okay. a, that's a perfect thought- example, right? I think so. I would have th- thought that you would probably get that notification because showing your image on the computer is, you know, something prone to be hacked. But Right. So it, it's allowed uh, to have access to my phone or my camera and my uh, microphone by default. So, yeah, right. I, I see. What, so that's an illustration of what you talk about. If you wrote an app that was going to do video teleconferencing, it would have to ask my permission. Yes. Yes. Interesting. And permissions really go beyond that. In in the scripting world, we used to be able to include templates and stuff in the same folder as a script. And now everything in that folder is considered suspect. So you can no longer do that. So we have to put things inside of a script bundle. 
and script bundles don't really work that well. They're kind of flaky. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to distributing these customized solutions for people, that's become more and more difficult as the security has tightened. So you're just needing to be more creative then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I need to do. <laughs> so you said it's been getting worse over the last decade. I'm I'm not sure I have seen the level of you know anarchy that's going on like it has been in in Catalina. I mean, I don't Mojave seemed pretty darn smooth, you know? It came out, there were betas, I didn't I didn't see the online screaming from the developers and frustration and I upgraded and everything worked. Now that was one of the the more let's make it more stable releases. Mhm. Mhm. I certainly had to deal with a lot in Mojave. And when my little automator apps were no longer compatible and I get complaints from users, generally once I tell them what my environment is like and what I'm dealing with, 95% of them are very sympathetic right? and, and unfortunately do not have kind words for Apple. <laughs> now, you have a, a unique situation where you know every person who is using your scripts because what you're doing is you're helping a client specifically automate a process and you're giving them, selling them a tool that will help them do that. But the general developer only hears from maybe the top 5% most angry, annoyed, irritated user, right? So they can maybe write back to that person and say, hey, I'm really sorry, but Apple screwed up iCloud again. Or, you know, this, this tool that I always use, they removed it and please have sympathy for me. But they're only talking to that 5%. They've, in a lot of cases, if they got it in the Mac App Store, they can't even contact their users to say, hey, this isn't my fault. I'm really sorry. Yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really yeah. Is. But but I did but, want to highlight that, that it, it, because you can explain to your, your customers why something went horribly wrong, it, it's almost like even though it was worse for you, you're the lucky one. Right, right. And I'll, I'll give you a, a Mojave example briefly. Of, you know, obviously, clients are not necessarily in control of when they upgrade their Mac OS. So it's... Upgrading a, a automation for a, a client who suddenly needed a new computer, and I suggested, since they were about to do this big publication using my script, that they stay on High Sierra. And the app, the IT department for the company said, "No, we need security. We're going to go to Mojave." Oh, no. And I again cautioned the client against it, and then I didn't hear. I knew she, that she was upgrading one evening. I didn't hear back from her two days, three days, four oh, no. days, five days. That's either good or bad. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Oh. It was, you know, regrets because hadn't even tried to run my script yet, but was already running into so many issues. And that might be a difference of people in the corporate world that use more major third-party apps. I mean, these are people mm. who are going to be using Excel instead of numbers, and they're going to be using InDesign instead of pages. So when you're more in that third-party corporate environment, I think you tend to see more pain. You know, that's interesting. The The company I worked for was 
uh, 60,000 people and we had a, a very, very security conscious uh, IT organization. Security was the number one priority because it was a defense contractor. It was number one. I mean, it, productivity was number two, uh, maybe. Uh, but anyway, so security was number one. And the result of that was they wouldn't go to new versions of stuff. Because, like, you know, we know what this is. We've stabilized it. We know what the threats are. We're holding still. And so, you know, two years after Windows 10 came out, they were thinking to fix and to make a plan to maybe go to Windows 7. And it, it, it's a little different view of it. It was like, don't don't disrupt the environment because we know we have it locked down properly right now. Uh, so they kind of went the other way. Um, I think that's a smart view. I really do. And for corporations who are, they emphasize productivity and saving time, and when I can provide them with automation on a platform, once that tool works, they want to keep using it without interruption. Yeah. You know, I I think that that's a, a bit in our brains that's flipped one way or it's flipped the other. Because to me, new shiny always wins, always wins. And, and so it, it, and I know that I could keep doing everything the same in the same way. But a, a, an example I like to give is my live show. As soon as everything is working and I've gotten it to work for like three or four months in a row, my brain just starts going, well, what else could I add to this? There's, there's got to be something <laughs> new I can do. And so, you know, all of a sudden, hey, here's this new, we could have it. You know what? I'm changing the chat client. You know, I, I just, I can't help myself. It's in my DNA to change this stuff. So the fact that I won't install Catalina just tells you something. It, it does. It definitely does. Because you're showing the typical character trait of an FTU, a first to uh -huh. upgrade. Uh -huh. And they can't stand it if they're not on the very most recent thing it, it i've seen it literally literally cause agony um, <laughs> that they're not up to date so you have that feeding it but i hear from more and more people like you who are really struggling with this latest upgrade yeah yeah that's that's a really strange thing okay so we we've been super negative here and talking about all the doom and gloom and how horrible is everything is um do you have any suggestions on how things can be in, improved in the future I do. And again, you know, I'm not a, not an expert, just a, a user here, but I would like us to see us go back to a two year cycle on upgrades. Oh, really? Um, I really would. And I, I see more developers on a site that I mentioned advocating that they would like to see that as well. And maybe Apple could then focus on the alternate year really looking at the security issues or fixing the long-standing bugs but i thought they are doing that because mojave to a great extent was a stabilize it version there wasn't much new well it's still a major upgrade to come out with every year and mm -hmm. so i know this is completely against your character <laughs> but as i mentioned in yep. the corporate environment and elsewhere i'd like to see a little more stability and you know, we've we've read thing recent read things recently, including um, an article by a former Apple engineer of how hectic the environment is by trying to get out that significant upgrade every single year and how they have goals and then major bugs get reported and things have to be pulled back. People are working nights and weekends up to the last minute because they all had that one June goal to get something out. And then it continues all the way through October to continue fixing things. And it's just, to me, a little bit crazy for an environment where we want our tools to be productive and reliable. 
So I'm I'm trying to I'm looking at Wikipedia right now to see if we were ever on a two year cycle. Let's see, going backwards, 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, 2013, 2012. Whoop, we skipped 2011. Uh, 2010 was uh, Lion. And then it goes back to 2008, 2006, 2004. So it must be back in that time frame you're talking about, Leopard, Snow Leopard, Lion. Right, and realize when they went from two year to one year, then every major third-party app did the same. So now Adobe mm. has to do a significant upgrade to their publishing suite every single year. Um, and they get pressured, and they're also having to use Xcode. So I have great sympathy for even the large developers in that case. And I think it makes their software more unstable to be on that type of deadline. So why are you saying they have to have a major release? Just because the OS changes, they have to do a lot of updates to it? Oh yeah, because they they have mm. to they have to build it in the new version of Xcode, right? And it's it's not just a matter of recompiling. They have to recognize what APIs have been dropped or deprecated, um, or how to take care of new functionality, and their users expect new features every year. So, I guess I I'm not obviously I'm sure you're shocked to hear I'm I wouldn't be a fan of every two years but I, I guess to me it looks like Apple puts pressure on themselves that's unnecessary so even in the simple example of Catalina they said October they dropped it on October 10th they had 20 more days to have no egg on their face and yet they chose October 10th now, we know when uh, what was it? There was something Steve Jobs promised us once that was he said it would come in the fall. And that was the year that we all learned that fall actually ends in what, late, late November, something like maybe it's late December. I forget mm -hmm. what the date. Maybe it's November 21st. Like we all thought that meant September, October, but it actually means end of November. Uh, so they could have done that. They could have also said, you know what? That's not going to work for us. We are, you know, we're not going to do it in October. We're actually going to wait until January. Little bit well, of egg on your face, but to say, look, we don't want to ship anything that's not perfect. But they well, chose I not wonder, to. I wonder to what extent is a Mac OS upgrade tied to a new iPhone? Because obviously you have all that interactability between um, the oh, like, phone and the iPad and all that. And then they all use the same development environment. So I don't know that they can really... Well, well, let's give an example that they actually did that very thing. So when they went to um, iOS 13 and to Catalina, they rewrote the database structure entirely for reminders. So when you, if you upgraded, when you, if you went to iOS 13 and iPad OS 13, when you open reminders, it says, "Hey, we rewrote this. Would you like to upgrade to the new version?" It had a big warning that said, "Warning: This won't work on Mojave. You will lose your reminders on Mojave." And you know me, I went, oh, that doesn't sound bad. Let me click OK. Well, all of a sudden, I'm watching my reminders on Mojave. I watched them disappear. Just They just started erasing, and they were replaced with one reminder that says, hey, where'd all my reminders go? And another reminder that said, click here to find out. So I have no <laughs> reminders on my Mac right now. So yes, they Ooh. are tied together, but they did it anyway. I mean, they did give me a choice, and it wasn't like bright red screaming letters, don't do this, danger, danger, run away. And I clicked mm -hmm. it anyway because I thought, nah, they're not really going to erase my reminders, are they? And they did. Mm -hmm. um, but but you're right. Something like continuity camera, um, you've got, you know, all the continuity features where you can copy from your iPhone and paste into your Mac and vice versa. Uh, AirDrop, you know, all that stuff. It's probably tied pretty closely together. 
That's a good point. That's a really good point. And iOS and 13 kinda... had to go with the new phone because if you didn't get iOS 13, then you'd get an iPhone 11 that you couldn't use the new camera. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe. But but they're making choices that cause that, right? I think so. They could I make choices so. that didn't cause that, them to be so inexorably linked. And I know, I mean, I do want them to come out with the 16-inch MacBook Pro, and it's going to come with Catalina on it. So I knew Catalina had to come before that, you know, but still. Well, what would you think, Allison, if one of the changes were that new hardware did not require the latest software? I think that would be fine. I mean, cause, because there are FTUs. No. LTUs, there are right. L- LTUs who maybe need new hardware because old hardware broke. Right. So it's, that would allow I'm them sure to... technically it's challenging. It means that you have to compile for older systems on a new hardware. But I think it's overall a thing that's good for business and good for the environment to know that you can actually replace a computer and not have to immediately go to that OS, which might be a jump of three or four OSs, depending on what you were doing. I I wonder whether there's certainly examples where that wouldn't even be possible. So the new hardware has the T2 chip in it, for example. So right. being able to run High Sierra on a, on a machine with the T2 chip, it's just not going to know what to do about that, right? I, I think that that would be problematic. I think you're right, but, you know, could we put some conditionals and a dot release of High Sierra to allow people to continue to use that, adding a lot more stability for users? Just a suggestion. I also kind of wonder if is the non-disclosure among developers during the whole beta process, is that really necessary? Yeah, because they've announced the the OS, right, and the features. They choose the features that they announce, okay? and some developers talk anyway, but others, others say we're really not supposed to talk about what's been eliminated or what we can, can't say about various features. And where is the competitive edge for Apple now that they really need to not not release that NDA until the actual software is out? Maybe I'm wrong about that now, but I've always wondered why do we have to do that? Um, bad press. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I really think that might be it, right? Because the um realize Tim Tim Cook uh worships at the altar of two different gods, right? There's there's make make everybody's lives better with amazing products, and there's you darn well better make the shareholders happy. And those are those are not necessarily in concert with each other. True. And True and that's what a lot of people have said back to me when I've said, Well, <clears throat> why didn't they just delay the iPhone launch? Oh my God, can you imagine? Look at the headlines. Apple fails to deliver on time. As yeah. opposed to Apple develop, you know, delivers dumpster fire. I think that would have been a little better answer, personally. Well, think about the present version of iPhone versus last year's. Would you have been happy with a two-year upgrade cycle on the hardware then? So looking back... uh I've made two really dumb hardware purchases. One was the iPhone XS because I was almost unable to find a difference between the XS and the 10 that I owned right before that. So yeah, I could have gone from the 10 to the 11 Pro and I would have been super happy and saved $1,000. Uh, I had I had uh, promised my daughter my iPhone 10 though, so she was real happy. 
and the other one was the the I went from the Apple Watch Four to the Apple Watch Five, and there's no reason to do that update at all. I mean, always on for five hundred bucks. I don't think so. Uh, five hundred bucks, including tip and tax and Apple Care. So yeah, yeah that one. But I wouldn't have wanted to miss this one. I wouldn't want to go to from ten S to twelve because this one was really good. Right. And on macOS, how many features are we truly finding valuable for it to be updated significantly every year? That's... I think as 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 we get in the computer age with things proceeding more, there's less to improve each year. Yeah, that's a good point. So as as you get out on that curve where where things have matured, is there really a need to do it? Um, I th- I think there's a lot of cool features that do get in uh in the new OSs that we either don't ever discover or we did discover but then we forget about. Like right. I, I bet the percentage of people who use continuity to copy from one device to another is really, really small. The number of people who use the camera to take a photo or do a scan right into it into an app, um, I bet the percentage is very, very small. It's incredibly powerful, incredibly useful, but it's a real good chance you never even saw it. You know, you never knew it was there. And then there's a more popular feature like dark mode, which was Mojave, right? Uh, dark mode. It depends on the yeah on Mojave on the uh, on the iPhone. It was iPhone thirteen or iOS thirteen. And I heard that was a very difficult upgrade for a lot of third party developers. So that took a significant amount of time to make their apps compatible with that. So. Um, Bart, who is on Chit Chat Across the Pond every week and does programming by stealth and does our our, uh, security bit segment, has a theory that the bugs in iOS, the the, the, the weird thing about iOS, specifically iPadOS, though, is that there's a lot of little tiny bugs that don't seem to hit you twice and don't hit the same two people. So I feel like it's one bug flying around just going, I'm touching here, I'm touching there, I'm touching there, I'm touching there. It's just it's just flying around, kicking things over, you know, knocking over mailboxes in the neighborhood, but never the same two twice or same one twice. Um, Bart has a theory that is based in no fact whatsoever, just on a feeling that the one thing that touched every single bit of iOS was dark mode. And he (sighs) said, so if every single feature got touched by a human, that's why there's bugs everywhere. That's his theory. What do you think? Oh, okay. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be. Um, Adam Inks published an article. Uh, his favorite saying now is, uh, dark mode is for suckers. It has been scientifically proven that reading text, uh, light text on a dark background is actually slows you down and and is is worse for you to be able to read than a dark dark text on a light background. Wow, I had not heard that. Yeah, I need to put a link to that in the show notes too, because uh, Adam was it was it was fascinating uh, hearing about that. It was like, in fact, maybe he wants to be on the show. I think maybe I'll have him on to talk about stuff like that. I thought that was was really interesting. That sounds great. So everybody's all excited about. It. I mean, there's people for whom it it has a huge advantage with with vision issues where it's you know they just can't see if it's too bright it hurts their eyes. There's a ton of people like that, and I don't want to discount that. But everybody else is doing it because it's cool. And I kind of like to bring up a related topic mentioning that, and that's that um, in the AppleScript world and in the automation world in general, we're able to help users who have very specific accessibility issues. 
And we all know that accessibility is a huge topic and that Apple has done an awful lot of work to improve the ways that users can still access the Mac OS. But they vary so much that I think some users need very specific solutions. And as we're able to automate less due to security, I think it hurts those users as well. Hmm. Um, so I would I would like to be working more in that field, but I'm unsure of how long that would last given the current trend. Interesting. So we haven't really dug into this very much, but I know it's a topic near and dear to your heart. Are, are you seeing it's harder to automate things even with Automator and, and AppleScript today than it was, say, five years ago? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Hmm. Uh, security has made it more difficult for all of us. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the the value of the, of the automation itself is still great. So my clients who know about it are typically usually willing to put up with a great deal. Um, but it's not an easy process to distribute scripts for other environments now. And there are a lot of people who would say, well, it shouldn't be. No, it should be harder because security is an issue. I'd like to see a better focus on doing things like, okay, we can detect face ID or you can use your fingerprint on a Mac now. What if you gave that authorization to avoid all of those dialogues or to say this script can use things in this folder? Uh, Can't we have some type of single um, one-time use to initiate an action? Because I think the biggest fear security-wise is what if a remote um, programmer takes control of your script that has access to your database and all that? Yeah. Well, that's true, but can't we have a way of detecting that an action like clicking on a script or opening an app is coming from a local hardware source, your keypad, your trackpad. And therefore, I want to allow this to do whatever it wants to do, as opposed to somebody logging into your system remotely. Right, right. And, and I don't know if that's possible. I don't even know if how the Mac OS works, if it can tell that all these different actions are coming from one source. But that's the direction I would like to see Apple go so we can get back to providing very specific, customized solutions for users. Yeah, it does seem like there could be switches that said, um, you know, under these circumstances, yes, I understand the risks and I am going to do it anyway. Right, right. And I think that would work so much better for the automation utilities like um, Hazel, and some others that we've mentioned along the way that access so many different things that it becomes more and more challenging for them to give users that type of power on a new OS. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Hazel was one of the ones, I'm not sure if it's Catalina capable yet, but it wasn't the last time I checked. And that's just, that is on, you know, in my top 10 list. You got to be, Hazel's managing so many things. I don't even remember what Hazel does anymore. Right. And those are the type of smaller developers that we love. We love the folks who actually respond to a message from us asking for a feature or a fix and actually say, "Okay, I'm going to be able to fix this soon or no, this is complicated. I'll see if it can be done or yes, I'll give you this feature right away. 
Yeah, and, I got to meet the developer, and I've forgotten his name, unfortunately, of Hazel. And you always picture something as amazing as Hazel must be a staff of 30 developers. It's one guy. It's just a guy. Yes, and more, and many times it's one guy working, freelancing, and has a regular daytime job. Yeah. That's, you know, so when we say work all summer to get your app ready, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's from six to midnight every night, right? And how much of that summer is spent having the beta on a separate machine, updating Xcode, updating to the new beta, running the test again? Um, I yeah, mean, even it, if it, you just updated uh, Xcode every three days, that would take you all summer because Xcode is like <laughs> nine gigabytes, right? <laughs> I know it. It takes forever to install my system. I've heard it's gotten a little bit better lately, but um, uh, yeah, it. When I was trying to see if this bug would be fixed in Mojave, I was updating every time, and that oh. took an enormous amount of time. I had to have a dedicated Mac to do that, and even then, it was a long waiting process. Oh, I bet. Yeah, every once in a while, I accidentally launch Xcode, and that by itself is, you know, okay, there went there went four minutes of my life, right? It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. don't open <laughs> Xcode. No, force quit, force quit. Yeah, no, if you click on a P-list file or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> when it happens. It's like, no, come on, a text editor would have been fine. <laughs> and I want to say this, the people who are programmers are brilliant. And those who are able to work in the Xcode environment, they have my great admiration. But when you're working in Xcode, you're working on something that's developing for iOS, iPadOS, macOS. And the macOS is kind of just a relatively small area of that now. So a lot of times looking at the documentation, you have to go through a lot of iOS technology or terminology to find what you really need. So the the metaphor that I use in class is kind of like uh, Mac uh, Apple is the greater New York City area. And Mac OS is just kind of becoming a fairly large neighborhood, but just a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm. And then a technology like AppleScript is a closet inside of a bar. And, <laughs> and you're lucky to be in a bar. <laughs> right, right. So I can use I can use AppleScript and Xcode, but it's such a tiny thing compared to the vast, vast monster that Xcode is, it's very yeah. difficult to work in. Hmm. Well, I know you have some time constraints and I want to be respectful of that. We had a bunch more questions. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, we close out this interesting discussion? Well, I want to thank you because one of the things we wanted to talk about was what role do tech journalists have in this process? Yeah. And you've taken that role, you know, rather than just saying, oh, this is new and shiny. Let's talk about it. You're seeing that there's issues to be faced and uh, you, you're getting some perspective. And I think that's going to help overall. Oh, good, um, good. I, but, I, it is weird to not be the fangirl right now. You know, I actually got in, in, in an argument with my friend Dorothy this morning where it was she's usually negative about things and sees the, the hard parts. And I'm always, no, it's all amazing. And today I was like, no, it's all horrible. And she's like, no, it's amazing. <laughs> Right. Uh, I know it's rough. And and I feel like I'd like to see more user autonomy restored. Us being able to have more control of our setup and the things that we can automate and make interact. Now, when I got a Mac, which I'm so old, I got a Mac in 1985. You know, the first oh, thing you I knew did kids. was I got buy... mine in 84. Oh, okay. <laughs> you Good kids <for> you. today. <laughs> 
So like the first thing I got was quick keys because I wanted to have more keyboard shortcuts and I wanted to build oh, macros yeah. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's what I really wanted to do. And uh, now that's becoming more difficult for developers to write programs like that mm-hmm. and more and more difficult for us to automate our own Macs to our own customizations. And because of that, I feel like there's this overlord called security that's in charge of everything now. Mm -hmm. And it really means the nerds rule because if everything is a security issue, they're having to deal with things that we will never understand. Mm -hmm. And therefore we're losing autonomy. We're losing the ability to customize. And what what about shortcuts though? What about shortcuts? That's in a that's a new and growing field for Apple for allowing us to do more automations now. Yeah, and as soon as I'm confident about it, I will I will be looking into it. Okay, okay. I definitely cannot talk about it now. Sure, sure. But I'm, I mean, that gives me some optimism that maybe things uh, there there's another path. There's another way for us to weasel in and do what we actually want to do. I hope so, and I do think these things happen in cycles. Um, and we're just kind of a down cycle in that area now. Mm-hmm. But I am worried about the security concerns overriding everything. Now, obviously, we should all be thankful for what security protection we have on macOS. And for a long time, it was touted as the most secure major operating system. And now it just seems like, oh, gosh, it was really awful because so many bad things can happen. And we've got to protect against that. So I understand what they're having to do. I just hope there's still a way for the users to still feel more in control. And uh, yeah, have our cake and eat it too is what we actually want, right? Yeah, yeah, why not? (laughs) All right. Exactly. Well, Ray, if people want to give any feedback to you, is there a way they should uh, contact you, follow you, play with you online? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not on Twitter much, but my handle is Scripts Matter. Um, and uh, you can also c- contact me at ray at automatedworkflows.com. Okay, great. I have that written down. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime you want to come on, you got a subject that's near and dear to your heart. I love talking to you. Well, I appreciate that. As I said, I'm not an expert, but I at least wanted to speak out on this topic. So thanks for allowing me to do that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCastaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.